And turn back as well, if you would, to uh, Luke chapter 12, uh, page 1045. Watch out, says Jesus. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And straight away, that should surely have us shifting nervously in our seats, because which of us is immune? Which of us hasn't at times been greedy for more? Uh, Who hasn't been in someone else's house and dreamt of it being yours? Who hasn't seen another news story of a lottery winner and mentally spent the millions? Uh, Who hasn't had a wistful thought on walking past a travel agent's window? Which of us is content all the time with our cars or our clothes or our kitchens? Indeed, greed has become an ingrained feature of Western society. Our society and economy depend on it. I read personal debt in the UK topped £1.35 trillion this year, for the first time exceeding the predicted annual GDP. We could all stop, not buy anything, and work for a year, and we still wouldn't have paid it off. I dread to think how much money in personal loans my junk mail has offered me so far this year. We live in this buy now, pay later culture, allowing our desire for new and more and greater possessions to outstrip our ability to pay for them. Uh, We live in the generation that coined the phrase retail therapy, as though the accumulation of more and more can even make us well. We measure out our lives in shopping bags, preferably with a designer logo. And yet, what is exactly the challenge of this passage? What is it that Jesus is critiquing and wanting us to change? Well, to understand that, I think we need to understand uh, the context in which he told it. Look with me at the beginning of chapter 12. You'll see that Jesus' words here are very solemn and serious. He begins by warning his disciples about the sin of the Pharisees, hypocrisy, putting on a mask of religious observance to cover up their total lack of love for God. And he warns them about that because of the reality of eternity and judgment. So look at verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after, killing, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Then on, verse 8 and 9, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And you can imagine a sort of subdued silence descending on Jesus' hearers, uh, the way it does when we're listening to something that we don't like. And then as Jesus pauses for breath, someone pipes up, Oh, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, sadly, how common it is for families to be torn apart over a will. You may have experienced it yourselves. Uh, Here we don't know uh, whether or not the man had been wronged, 
We might assume that he had a genuine grievance against his brother. He's certainly happy to have his case heard in public. But nonetheless, his question just does seem very inappropriate. Jesus has been warning of eternal judgment. His mind is on the family estate. Jesus is talking of eternal life. This man has been thinking about his bank balance. Now look, I know that the mind can wander in the middle of a sermon. Your mind may be wandering at present. However, I would find it a little disconcerting if when I paused for breath one Sunday, someone stood up and said, Oh, Ed, do you know if the cash machine outside the co-op is working again? Uh, but that's what this man is doing. And, and here, I think the main point that Jesus makes seems to be that greed induces just that sort of tunnel vision, whereby we can't see anything else. He says in verse 15, Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What is success? Uh, What is to be our ambition in life? What does it mean to be human? What does life, true life, consist of? That's what God wants us to know. But as with this man in the crowd, greed can squeeze out all other concerns. It's why in Colossians 3 verse 5, Uh, Paul can say that greed is idolatry. It places uh, what we have, what we desire to have, in place of God, so that we have no time for him. Uh, In their 1991 book, The Day America Told the Truth, James Patterson and Peter Kim carried out a survey uh, asking what people would be willing to do in return for $10 million dollars. Uh, 25% said they would abandon their family. 23% would become a prostitute for a week. 16% would leave their spouse. Uh, 3% said that they would put up their children for adoption. Uh, We might tut at such attitudes, but what if an offer were made to us? Uh, If we were willing never to come to church again and never to open our Bibles again, 10 million to give it up as a Christian. Would you decline? Of course, there may be some here today who aren't yet Christians. Uh, Perhaps you're thinking, are you honestly trying to say that being a Christian is better than being a multimillionaire? And Jesus' answer to that is an emphatic yes. That is precisely what he is saying. And to show it, he tells a story about a man who had everything and yet who had nothing. So look at this parable, verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. God. 
Uh, For many of us, I think this will be a familiar parable. And so we'll have to look at it even more closely. uh, Because so often when we think we know what the Bible says, uh, we fail to notice what it actually says. Uh, And notice, for example, what this parable does not say. Uh, There's no suggestion that this rich man was a bad man. Uh, When God finally addresses him in verse 20, he doesn't say, uh, you wicked man, or you evildoer. No, he says, you fool. Uh, The man's a farmer. His riches here have come through a bumper harvest. Uh, Not through any ill-gotten gain. He hasn't extorted anyone or stolen from anyone. And whilst verse 18, uh, where he talks of storing all his grain for himself, might hint at selfishness or lack of charity, it's certainly not the major focus within the story. And notice as well that this parable will not allow us to contrast riches with other things in this life. You see, many in the world today would agree that man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Uh, We see enough rich people in the public glare who, despite their fortunes, are insecure and unhappy. Uh, No, the thinking goes, it's not wealth that makes you happy, it's family or or faithful friends or doing a job you're good at and is worthwhile or or it's just having a positive outlook on life. Uh, That's not the point that Jesus is making here. There's no suggestion that this man had riches but none of those other things. Now, the issue isn't primarily one of morality, uh, nor of loneliness. The man's problem is what he believed. Because in what he says, he shows three mistakes in his thinking. Three mistakes that led to his death and judgment. Three mistakes that led him straight to hell. Three mistakes which in verse 21 there. Jesus warns us that will lead us straight to hell if we share in them. You see, first the man mistook his body for his soul. Second, he mistook this life for eternity. And third, he mistook himself for God. So first he mistook his body for his soul. Uh, Verse 19, if you look at it, it literally reads like this. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But of course, a soul doesn't eat or drink. And nor does it have any interest in goods. Now look, we must be careful not to think that our souls and our bodies are completely separate from each other. Uh, The early church was often threatened by false teaching that suggested that the physical world was bad and that our souls needed to escape from our bodies in order to be pure, uh, often through self-inflicted pain or privation. That's rubbish. Uh, Jesus, the most perfect and true human, had a body and still has. He has a resurrection body. And one day we will have one too. Uh, to be physical is to be part, is part of what it is to be human. But nonetheless, we make a serious mistake if we think that we are only physical, as this man does. Because the provision of our every physical need is not enough for us to have true life. 
Man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Or as the Bible says elsewhere, man does not live on bread alone, but on, well you know it I'm sure, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You might know the quote, but do you live it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that you could receive every possession and human relationship that the world has to offer and still miss out on true life? It's because of how we were made, created by God in his likeness for relationship with him. That is what it is to be human. Maybe that there are some here today who so far have been going through life pursuing a happiness that has eluded you, no matter how much you have. The early Christian Augustine famously said, God, you have made us for yourself, and our souls are restless until they find their rest in you. Don't be a fool and mistake your body for your soul. And secondly, don't mistake this life for eternity, as this man did. See verse 19, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You see, this man thought that he was set. Thanks to his bumper harvest, he had more than he would ever need. And yet, for all of his prudent financial planning, he forgot to plan for any more than a few years ahead. A student was talking to her tutor at the end of her studies, and the tutor asked what she hoped to do. Well, as I leave university, I hope to get a good job in my area of study. And then? Well, I'd I'd like to progress uh, to become one of the leaders in the field. And then, well, I suppose I'll want to buy a house in a nice area. And then, perhaps marriage and family before continuing my career. And then, well, after a while, I suppose I'll retire. And then, well, then eventually I'll, I'll die. And then, See, how far ahead are you planning? How far ahead do you dream? Uh, Is it the next move up the property ladder that's on your horizon? Is it retirement or early retirement or your pension that you're planning for? Is it family, children and grandchildren that are the next step? Don't be a fool who plans for those things and fails to plan for eternity. This man thought that he was set for life, and he was. But his life had less than 24 hours to play. And what good would his riches do him then? King Solomon in the Old Testament, who was fabulously wealthy, wrote this in Ecclesiastes. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. See, he'd seen that how foolish 
greed for things in this life is when we're faced with eternity, when we're faced with our mortality. Like the story's told of a wealthy man who had arranged to be buried inside his Rolls Royce as his coffin. Uh, on the day of the funeral, two men were watching uh, from a distant point at the strange scene of this funeral party standing watching this enormous car being lowered into an even larger hole. Now, after a moment, one of the men turned to his friend and said, now that's what I call really living. <laughs> Don't be a fool who mistakes this life for eternity. And then third, don't mistake yourself for God. Did you notice in the parable how for the rich man, everything he says and does revolves around him? Just listen again. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods and I'll say to myself, and on it goes. This is a man who lives life with reference only to himself and never to God. Who thought that he was in control, not God. Jesus sums him up in verse 21 as one who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. God doesn't even enter the man's thinking. And that is the real essence of foolishness. As Psalm 14, our other reading, put it, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And because man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, it follows that to deny God, to ignore God, to remove him from our equation, is to be less than human. It is to miss out on true life. Another psalm, Psalm 49, makes this point. A man who has riches without understanding is like the beasts that perish. If you live life without God, if you concentrate on this life and forget eternal life, if you focus on your physical body and neglect your soul, then you might as well be a farmyard animal because that is how you're living. Don't be a fool. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Don't be a fool and mistake yourself for God. Don't be a fool and mistake this life for eternity. Don't be a fool and mistake your body for your soul. Instead, come to the one who gives true life. The life that we were made for, the life that we long for, the life that fulfills and lasts. Life with God. Jesus once prayed, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It is a life that Jesus provides for us through his own death and resurrection. It is death that we'll remember as we share bread and wine in a little while. And it is a life that greed will deny us. Here again, Jesus is warning in verse 21, this is how it will be with anyone 
who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. As I finish, let me point you briefly to to the further applications from this parable that Jesus gives in the verses that follow. Uh, Let me suggest as well, it would be very helpful to spend some time this week uh, looking through the rest of chapter 12 and picking out the imperatives that Jesus gives. They all stem from this parable that he's told. See, first of all, have a quick look at verse 22. Therefore, says Jesus, do not worry. That's his first application. Don't worry about what you have and what you need. Instead, trust God. Uh, Second, in verse 29, he says, don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Uh, Don't let greed take hold. Instead, verse 31, seek God's kingdom. Let eternal life with God be our priority. And then just you wait and see how God looks after his children. Then third, verse 33, he says, store up treasure in heaven and so be generous with your treasure on earth. And then finally, verse 35 following, he says, be ready for Jesus' return. Live every day knowing that one day you will stand before him, the one who will judge us and yet the one in whom we can have life and life in all its fullness.